I, uh, I, this, apparently this is real. The, uh, this airport, airport identifier. Why would they do this? I mean, they probably didn't do this. It's been this way forever. Uh, well, it's been this, I, I think. Yeah, it's I know. Derby Field Airport yeah. in, oh, I forget where it is now. Hang on. I got to open the link here. Uh, Derby Field Airport in Nevada. Lovelock, Nevada. And that's where it comes from, Lovelock. Um, their identifier is LOL, uh, which is just, you know, I don't know. If they've got a good attitude about it, it can have fun with it. Otherwise, it probably just annoys the living daylights out of them. How do you, now, how do you know all this? Well, hey, where did this? Come, be, where, where did you come across this? And how do you I, know they've got such I, a great I don't attitude know that. No, I'm saying it. if they have a great attitude about it, it would be good. It could be oh, good. Okay. You can have okay. fun with this, all right? But if they don't have a good attitude about it, it could be really annoying, all right? Um, well, uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, sure. But at the same time, what are they going to do? Are they going to change well, their sure. identifier? Airports change their identifiers all the time. Half the identifiers, where I used to fly around the Bay Area in California, half the airports have different IDs these days. Yeah. It's really dessert. It's It makes my it yeah, totally makes I, my logbook I, I obsolete. Understand. I go look things up in my logbook and go, wait a minute, what airport is that? Um <laughs> Yeah, no, I I I'm the same way. I've got whiskey ten, yeah. you know, uh, exactly. all throughout my logbook, and whiskey ten is Manassas, which used exactly. to be, which J- is half. Yeah, hotel. Jr. For Fox example, Hollister days. I think has a different. What's Hollister's ID these days? It's it's CVH, but it's yeah, always it been was CVH definitely not I've bad. Been what's that? And I yeah, I don't know what it was before, and I and uh, I'm not even I sure think... why CVH. It's such an odd identifier. Well, it's probably the name of somebody, you know, it's like Charles V. H. Um, what was it back then? Um, it was like, I don't know, it was like, I forget what it was. I could look it up in my logbook, but my logbook's not handy. Um, South County's got a different code now, too, um, out there. Um, e- so, E16? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it, See, it, now, this is like we're playing, we're playing tri- tri- Trivial Pursuit. Like, what's name, name that airport identifier? Like, I know. I have, well, and so then I, I, so so I saw, so I saw KLOL, and I'm thinking, well, okay, this has got to be, this is going to be a, 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 a you know, a, a ripe, you know, area for harvest here. So I started looking, so I started looking, there's no KW Tango Foxtrot, sadly. Um, <laughs> Uh, I went looking for uh, I don't know I didn't I, I, and I and I kind of stopped there, but uh, you know is there a K I D K? You got that one K S O S. That would probably be a bad idea. Uh, yeah, I don't think that one's gonna go. K T L D R. That's probably too long. Never mind. I'm I'm reaching now. Um, we uh, oh, but there are you know we talked about this on the podcast a long time ago. I should actually let me hang on. I'm gonna look this up. Where did it go here? Uh, please do not hang up on them, Jack. Go to a different browser altogether. I want to go to, uh, and I'm going to go into this browser here, and I'm going to do new tab. Well, yeah. while you're doing all that, I just I'm sitting here at my computer, of course, and I Google Whiskey Ten. Uh, Whiskey Ten is now Whidbey Air Park in Washington State, or I'm sorry, yeah, Washington State, Langley, Washington. Again, that used to be Manassas, Virginia, as late as the eighties. Yeah, so it, it, it's uh, um, I and and uh, one seventy two Drew and I made a pact that we're going to visit these two airports, and I'm just trying to refresh my memory exactly what they were. But it was like it was like zero one zero and one zero one or something like that. I mean, it was like two airports, both in California, that had. Very, very, you know, kind of uh, 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 easy to get confused. I'm, I'm looking at 
VFR flight map or VFRmap.com right now, trying to see if that airport jumps out at me. It was up here someplace in uh, oh oh. There's LOL. As a matter of fact, there's LOL. Um, and uh, I don't know. Anyways, airport IDs. Are there any airport IDs that you guys have come across over the years that are particularly, I don't know, interesting? No? Um, the only interesting, I don't know, to me, um, <laughs> not really, okay. I guess is the quick answer. But I, I, I always wonder at, um, um, you know, how some airports did get their uh, identifier. Um, O'Hare, O-R-D, used to be an orchard, oh, really? apparently. A, a lot of runways used to be, used to be an orchard. An orchard. <laughs> not, I'm not sure that's yeah, much that's criteria. True. That's true. Yeah. Uh, MCO, or Orlando, was like McConnell Field or some, some Air Force Base or something like that. It was, I forget, but it made sense. And now, of course, it's Orlando International Airport. They kept the identifier. Yeah. So, um there's a, there's a number of of, uh, of airports like it. Then again, you you, you wonder you know, how in the world did that airport get that name? Cincinnati, CVG. Uh, that's really Covington, Kentucky, not Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, and you know SDF, which is in Louisville. You'd think, well, LOU. Well, there's already an LOU. That's Louisville downtown. Um, it's standard for field. SDF is the is the big airline airport, big airport at, at Louisville. It, little things like that. Okay, um, you know what? One thing to, to think about, um, Jeb, is that the airport may not be there that originally had that name. You know, I, I could imagine that a town right. had an airport, and then you know the little airport closed down with you know the town's name, and then all of a sudden the the mm-hmm. other airport superseded it. One one other thing. Yeah. Um, with, yeah. with talk, going back to Jack's uh, one one hundred one numbers, it's not one hundred one; it's one Oscar one. Well, um, and that's yes, a good yeah. point. Um, so I'm surfing around here, um, looking for the what, trying to refresh my memory, what the odd pairing was that in California that I'm not finding. But in the process, I discovered. All right, there's a goo G. Well, so it's not G O O. It's it's apparently it's it's a golf Oscar zero. Now. No room for confusion. No, no opportunity for confusion there, is there? Yeah. My, my favorite one was one Oscar eight, I believe, and that's um, Harris Ranch, which is, as, as those in Flatten, California know, halfway between L.A. and San Francisco. And my favorite, oh, I'm sorry, it's not, not one Oscar eight. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> I, I remember going to Harris Ranch and all of a sudden that uh, I couldn't find it because I thought the O was a zero when I was a student pilot. And that yeah. was... That was that was goodly uh, yes, fun. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of surprised that they do that. That, that that's just they just don't rule that out to avoid those kinds of confusions. Um, I'm looking, I'm, and you've now got me looking for Harris Ranch here on the on the chart. Why is it? Is this? Oh wait, okay, here we go. Where we go? Harris Ranch. It's here someplace. Here it is. Three Oscar. Uh, according eight. to this, it's yeah, three Oscar eight. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but you're flying along, you know, brand new, brand new, you know, low time student pilot, and you're putting in three three zero eight into your GPS, and it can't find it, and and now you're starting to sweat a little bit. So uh, yeah, yeah. So that anyways, was a, that was yeah. Listeners, send us your send us your oddball uh, airport identifier suck. codes. We want to know more about these. Um, because, because this we is have what no we life. do. This is what we do. <laughs> oh, oh, that this that's true. Also, yeah. Where am I here? Let me... 
Yeah. Both things can uh, be okay. true. Okay, I'm closing tabs here. Hopefully I'm not going to end the phone conversation here. I, yeah. You know, the flip side of which is, you know, outside um, the U.S., of course, a lot of countries use letters instead of numbers right. for their aircraft registration. And people do get a little uh, um, um, carefree with that. I, I have seen, you know, um, uh, pictures anyway of, of registrations like J-U-M-P, Juliet Uniform Mike Papa, on oh, a skydiving okay. plane. I've also seen Whiskey Tango Fox on yeah. uh, other airplanes. Uh, I, I, you know, again, pictures of them. Um I've also seen uh, Sierra Echo X-ray Yankee. <laughs> okay, yeah, there was a uh, yeah. Well, there was a guy at Palo yeah. Alto when I lived there when I flew out of there. Um, fun guy. I'd hear him on the radio. I don't know if I ever met him in person, but I heard him on the radio all the time. And the tail, and he had this kind of cool, you know, biplane, acroish biplane. And it was like, let me think now. What was it? It was like, it was like November one. Oscar or zero zero or Oscar Oscar zero zero Sierra zero Oscar Sierra or something like that. Um, the upshot was that it looked like the word moose, and that's and that's how he referred uh, to himself on uh, the radio at least when he was talking to Palo Alto Tower because they knew who he was. And so he'd call in, he'd say, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, biplane moose over slack with you know Sierra or whatever. Um, oh, that's fantastic! And, what a great uh, name. And uh, they would, uh, I, 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 in my imagination, Moose was this guy's personal nickname as well, and that's why he named his airplane. I don't know. Um, so, anyways, the other odd thing I wanted to ask about before we really get rolling here is <clears throat> this story about a seven four in Europe that on takeoff lost. So this is a, this is a new. I think this is a new feature of the podcast. I think this is the this is the. Pieces falling off of an airplane story of the week. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. This is a story from, let's see, I'll open this thing up here. We go over here. Oh, it's, it came from a Twitter, but it's uh, from, uh, oh, this is not, I bet this is not even in English. What is it here? Hang on. We're going to go here and we're going to do this. And yeah, it's not in English. Uh, oh, apparently I can agree to the. Book to the <laughs> to the internet cookies thing, even in a language I don't understand. D'accord, d'accord. Uh, okay, well, all right. So this is in some other language. I could probably do the translation. I'm not going to. My understanding of the story is that on takeoff, a Boeing 747 um, that came from an Icelandic airline, um, part of the cowling, the engine shell, fell off. And came crashing to the ground, and there's a picture here of a piece of it lying on the ground um, between two houses. All right, oops, and oops is right. Yeah, uh, but here's the here's the punchline. The punchline is this: this 747 chose to continue on to its destination. All right, um, and I was just like going, "Wait a minute, is that is it is a 747 missing cowling shell pieces still legally airworthy?" <laughs> did they know, did the crew know that, it, well, that they lost you, the car? I don't you don't think maybe that might change the performance ever so slightly? Uh, well, it, it had the cowl when it took off, so it was airworthy when it left the ground. And yeah, uh but, w- w- I mean the cowl isn't necessary for the engine to operate. Well, it's not, <clears throat> but my question is, and this is a question I'm guessing that neither of you knows the answer to, and that is so 
one of my very earliest flight training lessons with my CFI was standing on the ramp at Palo Alto and doing our pre-flight, and he was quizzing me about very tra- trying to train me about various things, and and we're standing in front of a 150 or 152, which has of course a a propeller spinner, you know, sort of a nose coney thing on the front of the airplane. All right, and then he pointed to another model aircraft further down the line that did not have a spinner. All right, um, and and he and that airplane, we knew that airplane flies. All right, so he says, if you came up to your 150 and there was no spinner here today, would it be safe to go flying? All right, and and I, I forget the, how the exact thing played out. The short version of this is that it would not be airworthy because the spinner is part of the official list of what's the this term term for it? The, the, the required the, equipment. The required equipment. Thank you very much, Cher. Um, and so because even though the airplane might be safely flown without the spinner, you can't because you're missing – because it's you don't have all the required equipment. Isn't the skin of the engine part of the required equipment? That's my question. Well, JR, you know, got it right. Well, got part of it right anyway. Um, the cowling was on when the airplane took off. It was yes. airworthy at See, the this- time. <laughs> Airplanes become unairworthy while they're in yeah. while they're in the air, and, and should they have turned around and landed? Well, Probably. I I want to know more about what the crew knew. Yeah, I, w- I would also point out that the takeoff weight and the landing weight of the aircraft are not the same, and, and especially these very large aircraft, they can't land uh, at the weight they take off at. That they have to burn the fuel off. So. No. If you're going to have to burn the fuel off anyway, does it matter circling over the airport or flying more or less to your destination to get under the, well, the takeoff weight? I don't know if that's the case here. But. So uh, when did this, Jeb, we had this story just in a recent episode. It may be the episode that um, isn't actually posted as we record this one about the uh, airliner that took off from someplace in England. Um, and uh, with too much fuel, they discovered after takeoff that they had been right, overfueled. Right, right, right. Um, and, and they chose not to go to their destination they chose to fly around in circles to burn off the fuel so that they could land back at their at their uh, uh, departure airport um mm-hmm. and uh, and we were puzzling that one over and the conclusion we reached again totally based on us just talking um was that that it would have violated <laughs> some european airspace rules or air traffic rules for mm-hmm. them to uh, continue but Anyways, the 747 without its cowling, and I just I cannot believe that they didn't know that something happened. Well, well, I, I suspect they did, but it, I don't. You know, when again? What did they know? When did they know? When did they know it? Did they, did a did a passenger you know hit the call button and flight attendant came back? By the way, <laughs> yeah, you really, out the is this the way lately, it's supposed to look? And. It, it, um, that was it. Wasn't that way when we are got on board? Are we living in board. black and white with William Shatner looking out the window? That old Twilight Zone <laughs> yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. The one key thing I would like to point out, though, is that the cowling on this airplane is probably, and I'm not an expert here, but probably used to reduce drag of the air, of that motor, versus yes. a, a piston a piston aircraft. They actually use the cowling to force the air through the motor to cool the motor. So. Don't try this at home, kids. Um, if, if especially on your on those piston aircraft, if if it right. engine the cowl comes off, you gotta land. Yeah, you probably. Thank you. I think that's good advice. <laughs> yes, I think that's I think a that's good, good very good point. And, and then yeah, you know, clean your shorts. Right. That's right. How does that change your airworthiness? This is what I want to know. Anyways, all right. 
It just redistributes the weight that the airplane aircraft took off. <laughs> that with, could go so. either way, I guess, right? <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from beautiful downtown Dover, New Hampshire, uh, where, uh, you know, it's late, it's late October and the leaves still really aren't changing yet. Something weird's going on here. You think maybe there's climate change happening? I don't know. Um, but uh, anyways, it's beautiful nevertheless up here. I'm having a good time. And I'm talking to two of my good friends here in our virtual hangar. Uh, another guest, another, I don't know, Jeb, we have to come up with a name for these folks who are joining us these days. Because I don't know if guest really kind of fits the bill. <laughs> Seat warmer? Yeah, okay. seat warmer? No, seat warmer. No, 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 no. But sucker, I could work with that. That you know, it's like you know, uh, uh, un, 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 unaware. Short, short straw. <laughs> do you? Uh, anyways, it's. Uh, but uh, anyway, I say I haven't. I have so many things we just got used to doing over fifteen years, and I'm having to reinvent them now. But since I've mentioned him, I'll let him go first. It's J.R. Warmkessel coming to us from the. What was I going to say? I was going to say uh, uh, just barely feet dry from Monterey Bay in California uh, is yeah. uh, is uh, J.R. Warmkessel. Hi, J.R. How are you doing today? <laughs> hey, hi guys. How's it going? It is. It's seventy nine degrees and. Sitting here at the Watsonville Airport in the Experimental Aircraft Association's hangar at the airport, having what is the most beautiful day I have had in a long time. I am so blessed to be here, and I thank you and thank Jeb for inviting me. It is, is one of my great honor and privileges to be here. Well, all right. Well, we'll we'll disabuse you of that notion, but we're but we're, but we're glad you're yeah, here. Right. And we were, uh, we were really looking young. forward to this. We've had a lot of interesting conversations over the years. Um, you 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 were, I believe you you. We first met you because you were a listener who came and said hello. Yeah, um, yeah. And but I'm pleased to say that we've become friends um, over the over a few years. You are now one of the regulars at Camp Bacon. You might have actually been at Camp Bacon before Jeb and I were. Um, but uh, so we uh, we spend some time together each summer, at least when we do Oshkosh, and hopefully we'll return to that soon. But uh, um, we spent a lot of time uh, chatting with you over the years at Oshkosh and at Sun and Fun, I think occasionally. And uh, yeah. um, and so when we were when we we're thinking of, of people to have us join us here in the uh, in the new improved not improved the uh, the uh, second generation. Uh, see, I don't have words for it. I don't know. I don't know see, how to do I, this. Uh, yeah. Jr., you were definitely one of the ones we were looking forward to having oh, join us. So we're glad you're here. Thank you. I am. I am so happy to be here, and I have to tell you. Um, we we have had so much fun over so many years of going to Oshkosh, and um, it is the highlight of my year. Every year, I look forward and I say, "What am I going to do at Oshkosh this year?" And and I know that I'm going to go hang out with my friends Jack and Jeb. So I'm yeah. I'm Thank just you. thrilled. Thank you. Uh, real quickly here, you said you're hanging out. You're you're sitting in the uh, EAA hangar there. What's what EAA chapter is that? Uh, that's EAA chapter one nineteen, and. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in the Watsonville Edu- Education Center. I don't remember the name of the building. Um, but we share this building with the Civil Air Patrol, which I'm also uh, uh, the deputy commander of, which is Squadron uh, 371. In, Someone uh, else Jeb has to salute. I like it. Yeah, no, uh, no. Yeah, I probably have to salute wear, him. Wear a uniform and a jumpsuit. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. uh, and uh, let's see, with the, oh, um, the Watsonville um, We Act is here, which is a Watsonville Emergency Airlift Command, I believe, is out of here. The 99s are out of here, and the Watsonville Pilots Association, WPA, is out of here, and, and there's a couple other small organizations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we, we, we get a lot of use out of this building, and it's a real privilege and an honor to be allowed to uh, to have a place to, to, to squat here from time to time. And occasionally, we work on airplanes. 
couple of the questions I want to ask you, JR. But first, I want to say hi to my other friend here from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, is Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, the weather here is uh, we're, we're past the peak summer season. So uh-huh. uh, uh, sun is still strong, but it's not, you know, 95 and 100% humidity. It's only 90 and maybe, you know, 90% humidity. Okay. Well, it's a nice day then, right? Yeah. Well, it, it's actually a very good day. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. It feels great. Now, it's been a it's been a relatively quiet hurricane season but not for much longer right this is well like- knock wood um it's it's uh so far you know again we've been fairly lucky there is a uh fiona is, isn't going to bother us right if you're in the if you're in the uh uh, uh, the Nova Scotia area. Uh, you got a few days. Yeah, I think uh, we're actually Bermuda. Gonna feel, Bermuda yeah, we're going to feel Fiona up here more than you ever did down I, there. I think you will. Yeah. yeah, there is another depression spooling up. Yep. Uh, just north of South America, uh, Eastern Caribbean. Um, what it's going to do is anybody's guess. Right. My my, you know, fervent hopes are that it just keeps motoring on to the west and and. Um, um, <laughs> Let Galveston America. deal with it, right? Well, I, I'm I'm not even thinking that. I'm just thinking, you know, um, somewhere in Mexico, Central America, you know, make landfall. Some low population uh, area, yes. No, yeah. it just you know, just not near me is is I think, <laughs> what, I, what, what okay. I'm really interested yeah, in. Right. You know, yeah. Okay. Um, Jeb, I, I have some bad news. I'm heading to Florida on Monday, so you're doomed because well, I know I'm going to bring the bad weather. See, with me. You could have you could have told me that some time ago, and and we would have we would have uh, made other arrangements. <laughs> we would have made another arrangement, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, I wouldn't say it then. Well, you know, it depends. You know, if you're just trying to track me down, that's one thing. If you're uh, just coming to say hello and that kind of thing, you know, that's another thing. No, but, I think uh, Jeb, you're not going to even make the cut. I think. I think I probably. Uh, I not. think I yeah. believe Jr. You're taking your little girl to Disney World. Aren't I I am. You, she's not so little anymore. She's. I, you probably remember meeting her when she was like two years old at yes. her first Oshkosh. She's 13 years old now. She's taller than her mother. Oh, she's so taller sorry. than her aunt. You know, and she is she is smart as a whip, and I am so incredibly proud of her, and I just love her to pieces. So That's awesome. we're going to go see the mouse. And if, Jeb, you want to come down and say hi, I'd love to see you, but I, I wouldn't expect you to make that long drive. It's not that far, but I've got other stuff going on next week, I'm afraid. Jeb is um, not really, from my experience, a Disneyland guy. I, I'm not a mouse guy. Uh, well, I mean, no, I, yeah. I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I flip yeah. side of which is I'd love to see you, but um, next week's not next week's a problem. Okay, oh, well we'll yeah. we'll, we'll do it again. Yeah. yeah. Um, not to change the subject here, it's kind of but um, um, as we as we mentioned, we we spent we spent time hanging out at Camp Bacon and, and at Sun and Fun, and obviously you knew Dave Higdon, um, who we lost just recently, um, and uh, I just wondered we're, we're giving other friends of Dave's an opportunity to maybe tell a Dave story or some memory or say sure. something if there's any you if know, there's anything you'd like to say. The, um, there is, there is. Um, you know, I'm I'm not fit to sit in the seat uh, to take Dave's place, and I don't want anyone to think that I am. Um, Dave was not a longtime friend of mine, but every minute we hung t- out together, he was a good friend. And we laughed and laughed and laughed. Um, I remember there was a one time that um, we were at Oshkosh hanging out, and he goes, Hey, Dave, JR, you want to go see the uh, the Sonics? They're having an open house. I'm like, yeah, sure. <clears throat> and uh, we, go, we drive over there, and we eat their hot dogs and drink their beer or whatnot. And, uh, and I'm talking to Steve Monette, and Dave's there next to me. And Dave's talking about how he's going to put... Um, um, 
uh, coding, a vinyl coating on his aircraft. And I'm like, oh, that sounds fun. I'm talking to Monette about a, uh, his glider that I bought his kit. And he takes one look at me and he takes one look at Dave and he goes, there's no way you're going to fit in that glider. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and then I sold it. But, you know, it's, it's just, it, there were so many times that, you know, Dave and I would go hang out and we'd go do this activity or go do that adventure. We'd go to have dinner and then, you know, Jeb would come into town and then the three of us would hang out. Then I'd hang out with Jeb and I just, it was just, it was such a fun time going to Oshkosh. Yeah. And you have said a million times that, you know, it's not the air show. It's not the flying around. It's the friends you meet. Mm-hmm. And it's true. And um, I have lost a friend um, and not a friend like you guys have lost. I can't, I can't imagine how you bear it. Um, but I have missed him terribly. I knew that his health was declining, but, but I, every minute I had to spend with him was a joy. And I thank you. And Dave, um, you know, the best of luck and uh, keep keep soaring. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Well said, Jay. Absolutely. Moving on here. Um, so this uh, Twitter, there's a little video embedded in a Twitter here. Um, what's it called in the list? It's called uh, it's called uh, Shauna Malvini Redden on Twitter. Um, so it's a little snippet of video of a, of a apparently an F-18 uh, landing at, sounds like it's, a, oh, it's apparently it's at Reno Air Races. Um, and uh, this is a firm landing. This is a, uh, um, I, I, you know, it's like, and the, and the jokes in the comments here are, that's a carrier landing if I ever saw one, because uh, Navy pilots are notorious for coming down hard in order to, you know, catch the, the wires and so forth. Um, I've watched this over and over. It loops if you just let it go. I'm not convinced that that wasn't basically a crash. Um, he, he came down really hard. Um, I, I, you know, and I haven't heard any stories about that. Have you guys looked at this video? Are you looking at it? Now? I, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. He, he, he hit hard. Um, he, he didn't, he also didn't have the nose up very high. That's what I mean. I think something, something was out of whack here that this was not just, you know, I mean, the fact that the airplane banged around when it hit, touched the ground, I saw, you know, for whatever reason, this airplane hit the ground faster or you sooner know, it, or. It was maybe ten years or so of my flying when I thought that was normal. <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm notorious for kind of like well, I tr- I try and touch down gently, but I definitely dive bomb at the numbers sometimes. I um, I, I, re- I remember when I was getting my license, I kept thinking to myself, "Oh, those idiots gave me control of the aircraft." I know. I know. <laughs> I was like, what what is wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But after That's learning insane. every wrong way, I, I did figure it out. But yeah, this guy's maybe he's used to a pitching deck. I'm not sure what happened. I yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's like, and I don't know if we'll ever know, but uh, or maybe there's stories elsewhere. But uh, it's an interesting. He he or yeah, she he... hit hard here. I mean, and uh, um, I mean, and the airplane. I, I I can't imagine it didn't almost lose control of the airplane. Um, the way it bounces around after touching down hard. Um, so, anyways, well, just, yeah, you know, I, well, yeah. Never mind. I was going to say something. Okay. Well, it's a, yeah. it's designed to land on a carrier, so it's probably what's the word? Okay. Yeah. 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 I guess you know, just, getting, uh, just finally getting a full stroke on the main shocks. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's right. Just trying to exercise the equipment. Yeah. Sir. Just get, yeah, getting right. the getting the oil, getting the hydraulic fluid um, uh, limbered up. Yeah, limbered up. Yeah. 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 Nothing wrong here. Yeah, really. So, um, Jr., uh, we talked about the fact that you are based at Watsonville Airport, Airport there in California. Um, I am. Yeah. And uh, um, 
we we talked on the podcast a couple episodes ago. I'm not sure if you've had a chance to hear what we talked about, but but we we kind of talked a little bit about this midair, this tragic uh, three fatality midair that happened out there about I don't know about a month ago or so now. Yeah. Um, and and I I, I don't, you know I'm, I I don't know whether you have any more insight into this um, or any thoughts on it, um, but uh, I, I just kind of wanted to offer you an opportunity to to chat yeah. about it for a minute since it's so close to home. Um, it, you were yeah. not present on the field that day, right? I was I was not. Um, I actually got a call. So so you know, be, you know because I'm based here and, and you know nearly part of the furniture. Um, whenever anything happens, people call me, and I got about three people who called me within minutes of it happening. Um, of the accident. And I, and I do have some thoughts. Um, I'd love, I didn't, and I have not listened to the podcast. So I only have my, my perceptions and what people told me. Um, it's interesting, um, from, from my perspective, a lot of people have asked me who's at fault and, Mm -hmm. and, and there's, there's, there's that drive. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jay. Let me just stop you for one moment here, and just sure. kind of for anybody who's not familiar with this, 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 this incident is not the right word, but this crash. Um, so it was a, a Cessna 150 or 152. There's a 152, and a and a Cessna what 304? No. Uh, so let me let three, me three, yeah. Give us the really short summary of what sure. the the facts <clears throat> were. Okay. So the facts, as I know them, is that there was a 152 that was being flown by a licensed private pilot, but let's call him a fairly low time. And he was in the pattern doing his currency. And um, he uh, was, I believe, in the crosswind when uh, uh, a Cessna 340, which is a fairly you know medium-sized twin-engine piston aircraft that was coming from the Central Valley, um, was, excuse me, was... Um, coming in the land and the uh the 340 was coming in on straight approach so he he was descending from 8000 feet came over the mountain range at Watsonville and trying to affect you know direct entry to the final and the landing and the uh the other pilot who um was in the pattern you know obviously was in the left pattern at Watsonville and they were talking to each other the whole time um there was a number of transmissions back and forth looking for each other so that's kind of the the, the layout the um, the 150, you know, flies along, you know, around about 100 miles an hour. The uh, the 340 was was doing about 180, so <clears throat> nearly twice as fast. And um, the, the interesting thing is, is that the uh, the 340 was really moving, and he never really slowed down as he got on, you know, whatever whatever final position, the final, and. First of all, so my, my number one position is is who's at fault. The FAA is pretty clear that in the forty one, I'm sorry, in the Part ninety one one thirteen, which is the right of way rules, that each pilot has responsibility to see and avoid each other. So they knew they were there. It's not a matter that oh, I wasn't on the radio or I didn't see him or I didn't hear him. They knew they were there, and both pilots could have done taken actions to avoid this um, situation, this accident, and neither one did, and. For me, that's the the key thing, and it's 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 easy to say. Well, the three forty driver was was going faster, and um, you know the other guy should have you know could could have done this. He could have done that, and they, and the fact is they both could have done something. The uh, the one fifty could have extended his downwind, could have not turned base, and in the worst case, could have just exited the pattern. You know, could have recognized I'm not doing this anymore and left. Um, the, uh, the 340 driver could have not descended into the traffic pattern altitude. He could have come in on the 45. He could have done a lot of things. 
Um, my my guess is that the 340 driver was distracted, which is why he never slowed down and never put himself into a landing configuration. And uh, when the, the, the 152 pilot was, was on short final and recognized that 340 was bearing down on him from behind, tried to go around, which probably put him in the worst position because now he's going even slower than he was before. Um, and the one key thing to remember is that twins land fast. Uh, that twin landing speed is around about 110 knots. That 150's landing speed is, or 152 landing speed is about 50 knots. So... Um, at the best of circumstances, that, that twin's going to go twice as fast. In this case, it was three times as fast. There was some speculation that the 340 was making an intentional low pass. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I've heard, I've heard a lot of people say, suggest that. I don't believe that to be the case. Um, okay. the, the pilot was... Was the, three, was yeah. the 340 based there? He, well, so based out of Oakdale, but I, I understand they had some some home in the area here that they would visit on a frequent basis, and they were well known to that to that area. The pilot was you know seventy five years old, and and my guess is that this was not a hot rod. I'm going to show you kind of situation. Again, I'm speculating here, but my speculation is is that I think that the pilot was distracted looking for this other traffic. Um, you know, he was he was on base. He's turned final. What you know? What's where is he? I can't see him. And, you know, he's moving awful fast and spent just too much time looking for another piece of aircraft as opposed to slowing his aircraft down to a landing configuration. That's that's my take on it. Um, and I'm pretty confident that's what happened. That this wasn't an intentional um, low, 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 low pass, low high speed pass. I, I just don't see it. OK, that's that's, yeah. that's mm-hmm. fair. Um, yeah, I, 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 the, I wrote an article a couple of years ago um, for safety, and it just it was republished uh, uh, recently by uh, AvWeb uh, on defensive flying, and um, related a couple of tales about a guy. Um, uh, I called him Mister Skyline because that's calling himself a Skyline. I never saw him. Well, I did see him actually. I was at one air headed towards one airport, and. Um, Fairly busy because cheap gas and uh, two or three aircraft on the frequency maneuvering, you know, within 10 miles or so of the airport coming and going. And um, Mr. Skyline comes on and says he's making right traffic to the landing runway, which is all well and good, except it's a left traffic airport. Um, right. And, and and Mr. Skyline says, oh, well, it's all advisory anyway. And right. uh, a few moments later, some other guy comes on yelling his head off that he just had a near miss with Mr. Skyline somewhere, you know, let's say uh, on the left or right base uh, mm-hmm. uh, area towards toward, to the runway. Mm-hmm. And uh, I right then decided that I wasn't going to go to that airport. <laughs> you know? I'm, all, I'm all done. Uh, yeah, I'm all done. I'm going to go to another one. Yeah, I'm going to go to another cheap gas uh, airport. <laughs> so I, I, you know, hit, hit, did did my thing with the autopilot and motored off towards the other cheap gas airport. And so, uh, before I could get there, yeah, Mister Skylight is on that frequency. Oh, and st- starts. He says he's you know somewhere out you know ten miles out or something for for such and such another straight in approach a, a runway at uh, um, such and such an airport and uh, I said you know you, you you sure you know where he, I said something like you know um, 
just say that again. Tell me again where you are. And he say, he says, I said, all right, well, that's fine. But are you sure you're headed for such and such an airport? Because such and such an airport doesn't have a runway, whatever it was. And he says, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not at going to that airport. I'm going to the airport you're at. And okay, and uh, so he was well, well uh, uh, behind me, and I went ahead and landed, rolled out, taxied in, and shut down. I was getting, I was pumping gas when he touched down, and uh, uh, he taxied in, and he didn't even look at me. He just, you know, zoomed into a hangar and, and parked, and, and all that kind of thing. But my point, two points. One is, is a lot of people talk more than they listen on on the CTAF yeah. on on. You know, traffic frequencies, uh, and you have to have some skill at um, at positioning, mentally figuring out where that airplane is when he when he or she calls in, and you know think about the type, think about how fast it is, think about your type, think about how fast you are, who's going to get where first, and often I've I've several occasions, um, both on the ground and in the air. Um, said, hey, you know, I'm fine <laughs> right here where I am. You folks go and do whatever it is you need to do. And when you're finished, let me know. Yeah, and I'm... I will go do I'll go do my thing, you know. And and it's worked out well for me over the years. Yeah, okay. um, it's it's a key thing. It's a key thing. You know, as we taxi out, you know, oftentimes I'm t- I ask my students, I say, hey, you know, where is that aircraft? And, you know, can you point to where you would expect to look for them and, you know, what general direction? And because, you know, as I taxi out, I'm building a map in my mind of every aircraft in the yeah. pattern and, and yeah. as they you know proceed. There were two other things if I could talk about. Um, yeah. But kind of kind of on that same idea of see and avoid. Um, at Watsonville here I see I see pilots do two things and both of them just make me cuckoo. And the first one is they get on the runway, they do what's you know, position and hold at a and position hold um, um, uh, at, at a non towered right? airport. At a non at a non towered oh. airport. <laughs> right. Ugh. Don't don't do that. Um, that, do that. At, at a at a tired airport, it's fine. I love it. The, the controllers are watching out for you, and they're doing a great job. But do not take the runway until the runway is cleared, because you're just going to sit there with your back to the traffic. You don't know what's behind you, and it's dangerous. The other one that I see done quite often is a 360 in the pattern and again at an untowered airport and when the controller is at a towered airport says hey i'm going to do a 360 for spacing hey i'm all about it but do not at an untowered airport do a 360 because you have no idea what's behind you and there's no requirement to use a radio so you you are putting yourself and everyone in danger by doing the 360 so those two things i'm i'm strongly against and i encourage your listeners to think about um, they're flying, and and is it really the best thing to do? And and I will say it again and again: if it's not working out, just exit the pattern and rejoin, yep. and come back and take another bite of that apple. Exactly right. Extend your downwind. You know. Yep, that's in, fine. In the, in the one in this one fifty two's case, I don't know. You know, he had all they, kinds were, of... they were all they were talking to each other, yep. and you know, you're in a much slower airplane. Um, once you turn base and then then final, you've got your back to the to the traffic and you can't see it. Uh, and one fifty two uh, isn't all that easy to spot when you from the tail side. Yeah. Um, so I I, I, and, I think a little the, bit of go ahead. 
I was going to say, there's all kinds of room. You could have gone down. Yeah. He could have gone down yeah. one for another 10 minutes. Exactly. You know, five minutes. He, he, he could have pulled the power back to, you know, yep. to 1700, pulled, pulled the car heat on, yep. you know, and he could have hovered. I call it hover yep. mode. He, yep. and, and done that for a couple more minutes. Mm-hmm. And he might have gone two miles <laughs> or maybe three with the wind. Um, and meanwhile, the 340 is on the ground rolling out or something. Or, or I mean, yeah. at that rate, probably smoking the tires off the end of the runway. But that's a whole other <laughs> Or maybe going another around topic. Around. Who knows, right? Yeah. But, but yeah. It'll, they both had a lot of opportunities not to do this. And, you know, I've seen it with my students is that is that when they're coming to land, in their mind, they've already landed the aircraft. And, and, and no, you've got you've to recognize that, hey, I can still go around. I can get out of the pattern. I can get out of the way. Uh, when you're doing a takeoff, I can still abort the takeoff. There are lots of opportunities. So don't don't give up these opportunities for safety until you they really are gone. And those are those are kind of key things that that I want um, pilots to think about. And as an instructor, it's a, it's a common mistake I see. So that's why I bring it up and t- want to talk about it a little bit. Yeah, interesting. Thank you. What else here? Um, uh, so another tragedy here. This is I don't know. If, it's one of those episodes, folks. Um, one of the race planes went down with a fatality at the Reno Air Races um, just recently in the last week or so. Um, and uh, I don't know if there's anything to be said about this. Uh, we don't really, the stories I've seen don't yet know really what happened. I wondered if you guys know anything more about it. Um, have you, you're out there in California, JR, anything in the grapevine out uh, there? Uh, I haven't, I haven't heard anything. I, I, I'm at a severe disadvantage that the Reno Air Races are the same week as my wife's birthday. And, uh, and, and and it's like matter and antimatter at the same time. Poor, poor, the two the will never meet. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I, I'm sorry to hear that we have a loss to our community, and my heart is out to every pilot, um, you know, yeah. big and small. So other than that, no, I don't, I don't have any details. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I know, it was an L-29 uh, Delphin, um, and uh, was was in, I guess, I don't know if it was a heat, qualifying heat, or if it was a final. Yeah, it was one or, of the... Or what it was, yeah. it was it was an actual race, and uh, um, didn't didn't collide with anything except right. the ground. Didn't you know? Didn't didn't um, call uh, declare an emergency or, or or talk to somebody or anything like that. Um, there was some speculation that uh, uh, moments inattention uh, to yeah. to what was going on, uh, and you wind possible. up in the weeds, and, and that's certainly possible. And but we don't know, and uh, we won't know until the NTSB yeah. finishes. Yeah, so we'll let the NTSB cool. do their thing there. But uh, sad that that happened. And uh, um, as as these things, have you ever been to the Reno Air Races? It's I only went a few times when I was living out there. Um, it's it's real. I didn't think so. All right, I I never you know I knew of the Reno Air Races and I thought okay airplanes going around in circles how exciting could that be? And then I I had occasion to go um, as a writing assignment and uh, and wow it's exciting. I mean and and it doesn't need to be deadly to be exciting. It's just genuinely exciting. You're, these airplanes are right there in front of you and going really fast and um, I, I enjoyed it a lot um, the times that I went um, and uh, but. Uh, you know, it, and it's as as a on the whole, it's pretty safe. It's pretty pretty accident free. Although there have been some notable examples over the years, unfortunately, and and this is the latest. But we'll let the NTSB do their thing, and we'll learn more about it later on. Yeah. Um. So apparently, the airspace around Denver is like really busy and dangerous. Who who would have thought? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I. What's this story? Apparently, the FAA went out of their way to say. 
be careful around Denver. I should read the story, shouldn't I? Here, let's go. Yeah, through. this is a fairly big story by I think it's a Denver newspaper, Colorado Sun. Yeah. Um, and uh, basically, there's the new airport, not Stapleton, which is the old one, but Denver International Airport, sometimes called DIA, although the, I think the identifier remains DEN. Um, they have, you know, a runway complex. They have uh, a multiple, uh, well, have two pairs of parallel runways. Uh, one pair on the eastern side of the airport uh, is fairly far apart. I think, you know, meet, meeting the FAA recommendations for, for lateral distance between parallel runways. The other two on the northwest side of the airport uh, are closer. And uh, whether it's prevailing winds or, or uh, you know, typical operation there i don't i don't know but um the the obvious well i won't say the obvious but the, the complaint uh is that uh aircraft approaching uh head-on from the east and the west to these these uh the north south oriented runways um are getting uh tcas alerts mm-hmm. uh, too often and some operators, some airlines are allowing their crews to shut off the TCAS, uh, which is, you know, probably a bad idea to begin with. Yeah. Because, you, you, A, you're in a terminal area, which is, you know, where you're most likely to have a, 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 a threat. Um, and so, I, I, you know, all this is going on. These airplanes are going head to head and they're getting uh, RAs from the TCAS. And they some they have to react or not react. That's why they're shutting it off, uh, which is all of which is a bad idea. Oh, this whole thing is just a bad idea. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm I'm curious why they haven't come up with some uh, procedures for this, where you've got um, that the, where you turn where the final approach fix is offset somehow uh, further north, for example, for one of these runways, where there's a nice gap. Uh, three or four miles, that's all you really need, um, that they're not aimed at each other uh, when they're when they're on base leg to their runways, and they're not needing to turn off their TCAS to avoid getting RAs, and this they can coexist a little bit better. You know, it'd be nice to just go ahead and build another runway, but that takes time and a lot of money. Um, but anyway, that's the punchline, is, is uh, these runways, according to this article, are 2,600 feet apart, which is... Um, uh, about half, a little, little less than half of the 4,300 foot separation um, that uh, the other runways at DIA uh, so, enjoy. So, so, Jeb, let, let me understand yeah. it. We had two two yeah. aircraft on final then, and 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 the the one aircraft maybe a little ahead of the other is is warning no, the aircraft I, behind. Or? I, I, that's that's probably part of it, but I think the main thing is they're going head to head when they're getting vectored to final. Hmm. Oh, I see. Yeah, you're it's, right. Uh, for, yeah. Procedurally, that that they yeah. think that there is some procedure that they could come up with that. They don't yeah, do that I case. don't know. I don't know what the what the distance separating the runways is at San Francisco, but you always see, uh, always you can often find new video, fresh video, of uh, two airplanes. Yeah approaching San Francisco at the same time, side by side, almost at the same speed, um, you know, touching down, boom, boom, boom. Um, that is not, uh, I don't I don't think that generates an RA. I don't think they're I turning know. off their TCAS oh. for that kind of thing. I don't know either. 
but um, I don't know if it's relevant. That the, the geography is really interesting at Denver um, because um, the airport itself is is a, a ways a surprising distance from downtown Denver. It is, um, and. So the images that people see of downtown Denver show the mountains because Denver is kind of nestled up at the foot of the of the uh, right what do they call it? the front range or whatever right and and so the the Rocky Mountains rise up very dramatically um on the west side of Denver all right but the thing that makes the geography even more interesting is that is that the Denver the city of Denver sort of lies on a dividing line and it, and those mountains come down very dramatically and then it becomes dead flat all right it's almost a north south dividing line between these rockies which are you know huge mountain range and then the the uh this the, the high plains of of uh, of Kansas and or of uh, Colorado and Kansas and Nebraska and all those states um and so when you're land, and I've been on airliners landing at Denver many times. It's a good place to change airplanes, um, and uh, and you're just flying over dead flat land for a long time. You know, um, getting vectored into however it is that, that that you know they're they're vectoring you. But it's it. I just I don't know if that's relevant to what's going on here. That it's just so wide open. Other than the mountains, which are not a not issue, but they're they're kind of a ways away from the airport. Um, there's all kinds of open area out there and I don't, I don't know if there's other airports that they have to stay away from or, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting situation. Yeah. I was just reading, there's a, there's an FAA notice on this, uh, safety alert for operators, the SAFO dated August, uh, three. Um, and, uh, um, the, the converging, uh, uh, approaches is, is part of it before they turn final. But the other part of it is, is, as you mentioned, the parallel, uh, approaches once they both are on final a and b the um, the altitude at denver the tcast apparently is getting a little confused because it's more accustomed to um, uh, approach mode or landing mode being at a lower altitude oh yeah okay I could I could see that being a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. can see that being a problem. It, it, so. Yeah, it is notoriously mile high. It's like the terrain yeah. out there. The, yeah. This is the valley floor. That that flatland I was talking about yeah. is five thousand feet above sea level. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, I'm looking. Well, I'm looking at the chart for SFO, and the runways are very close together at SFO, much much closer yeah. than than yeah. it, it appears on the chart. Although I don't actually have distances. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know how that would be different. I'm, I'm also familiar. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, Jeb. That uh, you see that that two aircraft on parallel finals for those runways all the yeah, time. It's not just SFO. You can see that. At, at yeah, a you lot see of that a lot of places with, with, um, with parallel runways. Um, which for some a lot of airports have these days. Yeah, it's some ways. Maybe it's more picturesque. It's SFO. Or I don't know, but you're right. Yeah, and uh, for all we know, they are. But they are obviously that's sea level as opposed to five thousand feet above sea level. Maybe that you're right. Maybe that's an issue. I don't know. We'll see whether we ever learn more about this, but I just thought that was an interesting story. Yeah. Um, there's one other thing on the list here, but there's something I forgot. So, JR, I'm sorry. I meant to ask you this early. Earlier. Yeah. How many airplanes do you own? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So. Click. Click. Yeah. What? what? Who, who this new phone? Uh, 
I owned seven airplanes. You um, seven airplanes. I owned okay. seven airplanes, and 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 that is the that is the the peak of insanity until I own eight airplanes. Um, <laughs> well, that's right. No, but that's my first question. Though. So you own yeah. seven airplanes, and my question is why? Yeah. Well, okay. So let's let's take let's take one step backwards because L- Lay's yeah. potato chips. Is yeah. The answer. Yeah. <laughs> I got a whole yeah. the whole bag full. Uh, okay. So let me take a step backwards. Um, we uh, we were talking earlier about my credentials, so we we. Know Never really covered my credentials either. No, we didn't actually. Tell and, us what and, they I, are, and I, and I, well, I think, I think that helps. So quickly, um, I am a commercially rated single engine, multi engine, and glider pilot, and I'm also a flight instructor with single engine, multi engine instrument, and multi engine and commercial privileges. I'm also an AMP mechanic with inspector privileges, and and what that means is that um, when I when I have my aircraft worked on or repaired i don't pay the the guy at the local fbo 150 dollars an hour to work on it i i pay myself uh, nothing and um because I, I get the privilege and the joy to go out and fiddle around with my airplanes so it's quite common for me to go out and buy aircraft that are um hangar queens or 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 have been sitting out in the in the rain and the whatnot um for years and years and you know they need to be restored and i basically go through and restore them uh, so <clears throat> to, to help, to help your listeners, I have a Cessna 150 tail with a Texas tail dragger, which I've been flying love lovingly. I have a Cessna 172 that <clears throat> is flying. Those are my two flying aircraft. I have, um, a second 172 that's in restoration right now. I'm working on, and I have Piper Apache okay. that's waiting for restoration. So that's, that's four. <clears throat> I have a two airplane that need annuals. I have a Cessna 310, which is my twin that needs an annual and my uh, Trinidad needs an annual. And I have a Cessna 182, which is needing a motor overhaul. And the problem is there's only one of me. And yeah, I spend, I you know, all day long um, with, with each crying child. They're all, they're all my children and I love them all equally. And that's what I'm going to tell you if, it, if you ask me which airplane's my favorite, uh, that I'm just trying yeah, to get, yeah. get them all fixed. And uh, as soon as one gets fixed, it, it Something else breaks on another one, and I'm. I, yeah. It's like well, ch- welcome to my world with motorcycles. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was going to say. That's what I first heard this saying with having to do with motorcycles, but you can apply it to airplanes. The question is, what is the right number of motorcycles for a, a person, a guy, to own? And the <laughs> and answer is one more. Exactly. One more. Oh yeah, that's well. And, you know, it's worse than that now because I, I have a reputation of being the guy on the airport who buys, you know, airplanes, and and I don't and I don't buy them for very much. I I, I think that that's the key thing that your listeners do need to appreciate is I buy an airplane for a few thousand dollars. Um, and then I'll, you know, take it apart and move it to my, to my little empire of dirt and, um, you know, go through it, you know, one step at a time. And the beauty of it is is that, especially with the Cessnas is that there's so many parts available either aftermarket or from Cessna or from, um, from the scrapyard that, you know, anything you need is out there. It's, it's actually shocking. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. All right. I just wanted to get that on the record before. Yeah, we, no, that's that's good. And, and um, hopefully next time we'll have more. I'll have another airplane. So that's roughly. And the one, and the one you've had the longest, as I recall, is the Trinidad. <laughs> the Trinidad. Yeah. So the Trinidad is my, is my, my, my big girl. My lover. I love her dearly. She's my family airplane <clears throat> and generally in good shape. She just needs an annual. And I just, I, I, uh, I had to, to park some of this stuff. Cause I had some other activities going on in my life, but, but now I'm back to it and I'm, I'm excited good. to, Get her, get her flying. And there's nothing really wrong with her. She just needs a, a check over. Cool. Good. Cool. Okay. 
Finally, and this this actually could have been the oddball story at the top of the show, but uh, here it is real quickly here. So this is a Twitter. It happens fast is how it's labeled on the list. Um, it's a, another st- tw- snippet of, of video from, from Twitter. Um, this is actually a little scary. So apparently this is a helicopter, and they have different rules about flying in low visibility. But this helicopter is scud running over some, under some clouds and over some hills. Um, and at a certain point, the visibility suddenly goes to zero. And and the thing I find notable about this is how quickly, and this is for an aircraft that's not really moving across the ground all that fast, um, it, the visibility went to zero really fast. And uh, I found that to be you know, really instructional. Um, and uh, I, I get the feeling that this helicopter then suffered a, a CFIT. Um, and the, I don't have much details about what happened after that. Um, but uh, it's interesting to see how quickly, you know, it's like, so the, the, to me, the lesson here is d- don't do this. All right. Yeah. Um, you know, just like allow yourself a lot of visibility and a lot of room and a lot of ways out um, because, you know, it may look like, OK, I know it's close, but I got I can you know, I can see that peak over there. I can see that ground over there. Um, your visibility can go to zero so fast it'll make you I mean, literally make your head spin. Any comment on that? Any any observation? What do you think when you saw this? Yes. No. Oh, I, I, I have a thought. Yeah. Um, yeah what? <clears throat> it's very interesting. You, you kind of watch the video, and I'm sure your, your viewers will see it in the show notes. You can see him approaching the, the ridge of the mountain range, and um, it's, all, it's all kind of going along. And then as soon as he comes over the ridge, um, yes. he starts to descend. And I wonder if he got himself into a downdraft or something, something happened. And then you can also see him trying to do it, trying to execute a, uh, a one-minute turn to get out of it, which he, he, he fails at. Um, and uh, it's interesting you know uh, one of the things that as a helicopter pilot and I've never flown a helicopter because I'd have to buy one as soon as I flew one (laughs) (laughs) and and, and, and those of you who know me know that that's the truth intentionally not have a helicopter no no lies found You don't need another whole category of temptation. I really, right? I, I really don't. And, uh, and yeah, a helicopter, a hot air balloon, or a glider. I yeah, don't don't get me near any of those. Um, you could see that he tried to turn, but you also could see his altitude was was de- deteriorating. So you're you're absolutely right. You've got to be super careful, and 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 especially as you approach the ridge of a mountain, because um, because you can get in if you get on the leeward side, you may not have enough energy to get out. Um, it's 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 very common to, to to get yourself in a situation you can't get out of, and of course in the clouds yeah. it's it's doubly bad. Yeah, I mean if if it were a fixed wing doing that, it would be especially crazy. Um, um, and and but even as a helicopter, I mean it was just like there was a lot. I was mostly just commenting on the, how quickly the visibility went to nothing. Um, and uh, so, anyways, watch the video. Just yeah, learn, learn a lesson. Can't, from this video. I can't tell from the video what type of a helicopter this is also can't tell um if it was uh if it had full ifr instrumentation whether or not it was ifr qualified is another matter uh, well and, but, and also uh, the insur- there's a lot of pilots you know even if you know qualified you can't get insurance for ifr flight now well exactly it's, exactly it's incredibly yeah, hard yeah 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 it almost has to be a commercial operation to to mm-hmm. be able to afford that kind of thing but uh uh, you're right, though. He, he looked like he, you know, crested the the, the ridge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he kind of slowed down a little bit here too. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I saw the visibility was going uh, way down, 
and as he flew into it, he started to uh, a turn to the left. But uh, whether it was a downdraft, whether he botched the turn, he because he didn't have enough. Um, um, uh, I forget what the word is. Um, uh, um, translation, tra- translational lift, I guess, is the is the, oh, is right. the phrase yeah. where okay. where you, you don't have enough airspeed um, um, to uh, to sustain lift with the rotor system at the present power setting and, and uh, uh, pitch attitude, etc. I don't know. You know, you, you just exhausted my knowledge of helicopters. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot going on here, and uh, it, it, it really, really, really can't happen quickly. Yeah, yeah. I think the key thing I would say here is, you know, this is kind of a classic look and see kind of a scenario where, you know, the pilot we're just going to look on the other side of the range and see if it gets any better over there, you know, looking right. for better visibility, and 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 it didn't. So you know, so, be be warned. Take a look at that. Let it scare you so that you don't do that. That's my advice, anyways. Okay. All right. Well, I think we're reaching the end of our allotted time here. Um, JR, thank you. It's been a blast. Yes, we, absolutely. We, we suspected it would be fun to have you here, and uh, and it did. It turned out to be true. Wow. Oh well, well, my, my, you know, it has been a privilege to be here, and um, you know, you know, Jack, from from time to time, you invited me on the podcast, and every time it has been such an honor. And I don't care what you guys say. If you want me back. Call me day or night, and I will make time. Um, I Thank enjoy you. I enjoy being and cool. and more than that, I enjoy hanging out with you guys. And uh, I'm going to see you at Oshkosh if I don't talk to you before then. Awesome. We will do it again. I'm sure we we'll talk sooner than that, yep. but thank you. That's J.R. Warmkessel. J.R. is a, uh, a high-time private pilot rated to fly single-engine, multi-engine, and gliders. He's got commercial ratings in all of those. He's a CFII for, like, all of those kinds of airplanes. Um, he's also an A&P mechanic with inspector privileges, um, which is kind of ironic because, as, as he just mentioned, he owns seven airplanes, but only two of them are currently airworthy. Go figure. Um and if all that's not enough, uh, JR was once once Steve Wozniak's personal tech support guy. Uh, JR, is there some place on the internet where people can find you? Do you hang out on Twitter or anything like that? You know, you know, I, not not too much. Um, but if you look up my name, I, I'm around, and I've got a I've got a number of articles that have been published, um, and a number of safety magazines and other things. So feel free to look me up. So you, you know, you write I, occasionally. I, you write occasionally for that that fly by night safety magazine, what aviation. Oh. Aviation safety, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's a, it's an honor that Jeb thinks that anything that I put down on paper uh, is worth putting in print, and and every time he does that, I'm in awe and I'm amazed with not only the 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 work, but the quality of what he takes from me as a as a source to the product <laughs> that that makes me look so much better than uh, than I've ever been. Um, You're very kind. It's a dying oh. art being a good editor, but Jeb is one for sure. He um, sure is. So I'm sorry. What was the answer did, is there some place on the web or just Google you? Just just Google me. I'm I'm on the Google. And you know Excuse the other me, thing. Duck, duck, go you. Yeah, yeah, sure. Duck, duck, go me. So so I've been I've been trying to figure out. You know, uh, Dave always had a tagline: the the the, the time you spend flying isn't taken from your life. Yeah. And I've been I've been trying to think of what kind of tagline I want to be associated with. And I think Uh-oh. the tagline that I would want would be: If you're going to go learn to fly, go learn to fly, and you can do it. You just have to try. So that's uh, 
That's what I want to say. Absolutely. Dave would approve. Dave would approve. Yes, Dave would approve. And that's Jeb Burnside. Jeb's a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. He's also a regular contributor to other aviation publications. Online, you can find Jeb's work at aviationsafetymagazine.com. His magazine is on Twitter as avsafetymag. You can also find his work at aea.net, avweb.com. And on Twitter, he is Burnside J. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. You can find me online in most places using the all one word username Jack Hodgson. You can find my ebooks on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the books section. And you can sign up for my Around the Field email newsletter at AroundTheField.net. Thank you, folks, for taking the time to listen. Um, if possible, please become a supporter of this podcast at patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace. Or you can make a PayPal tip jar donation, care of the email address podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. And we'd love to hear from you, so use that same email address, podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com, to send us your comments in question and questions. And so anyways, uh, that's enough talking. Let's go flying. And remember, the only pilots who don't have their landings critiqued are, fl- are flying skydivers. <laughs> you, you guys can do it. Go and do it. <laughs>